You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I had a message, and I just, this morning, honestly, the Lord has just just put the thought in my head. And uh, so this afternoon, I was kind of scrambling around working on a, a totally different message. And uh, this is just not what I was planning to do for the church planners meeting. And uh, really, my emphasis was on giving tonight and the power of God in that area. But, uh, but I, um, I, I will be in 1 Kings 19 tonight. Stand with me, if you would. Verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, Then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And it came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces. The rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimeshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphath, of Abel-Meholoth, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Father, I pray tonight for the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that you are the supreme ruler over all, and you know the hearts of the men and the pastor's wives and the pastor's kids and the church members that sit in this room. You know the struggle. You know the discouragement. You know the wrestling. And I pray tonight that we would not hear our words, but I pray that we would hear yours. And I pray that all of our conversations and all of our arguments would be put to rest and that we would leave here tonight with the peace that only comes from hearing from your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is chapter 18. What a chapter. I've actually had the privilege of standing on Mount Carmel, just looking over and seeing the ocean view there on one side and in my mind just kind of picturing this man of God standing there after these 450 prophets of Baal have sliced themselves and the blood is running and they have danced until they are exhausted around their bullocks and they have cried unto their God and they are exhausted from all of that. And then to just think of Elisha or Elijah and how that, that trench with the water all around it and just picturing as he prayed and before he said amen to see Fire come down from heaven and licking up the sacrifice. That had to be a moment. It had to be an unbelievable moment. And the truth is, is I, I won't go into it, but there's great significance in fire coming from heaven. Several times that that happened in the Old Testament and the significance of that. And, and with Elijah and his ministry, God had proved that there was one God and the Lord, he is God. It was not only fire that came on that, but there was a great revival. 
You'll notice in verse 39 where all of the people had halted between two opinions. In chapter 18 and verse 39, when they saw the water and the dust, all of that being licked up. And if I can just quote 39 or 38, where it says it consumed the burnt sacrifice. Just think about it. It didn't burn it. It literally devoured it. There was a sacrifice and then there wasn't. I mean, it was like, boom, pow, gone. And, and, and all of a sudden, the people's response, the, the backslidden state of Israel, and now they're jumping on the bandwagon and saying, Jehovah, he is God. And, and, and you hear this, this, this cry that comes from the people. And not only, not only was the glory of God manifested in such a way and in, in this day and age, and I, if I can just take off from last night, I don't know that we can understand how dark the society was. God's people, the people of Israel, and literally, um, I'll allude to this later on in the message, can you imagine how dark it was for Elijah to believe that he was the only prophet left? Can you imagine in America if you thought you were the only prophet left? in the entire country. And you're thinking, well, this is, this is in God we trust, but the only one. And that's how, how wicked the state was under Ahab and Jezebel and under the, the Baal worship. And not only was the glory of God manifested and, and uh, Elijah here sees his prayers answered and the people calling out to God, but then you find in verse 40 how that they collect these 450 prophets and this ambush that takes place. And Elijah's like, don't let a one of them escape. And here they are dragging these guys down. And I mean, there is a, there is a desire to rid the land of these false prophets. Man, that was exciting. The rest of the chapter is where Elijah's praying and seeking the Lord and this, this rain that has been withheld as a judgment of God that was foretold by Solomon, if my people, and here they are, the people are crying out, and now, now Elijah is, is seeking God and his mercy, and, and the rain begins to come, and Elijah uh, comes down off of this mountain, and what, man, what a mountaintop experience it was. And, and to think of Elijah and this great prophet who has been the times of the prophets with Elijah and Elisha to see his nine miracles and to see this powerful demonstration of the glory of God and all that God has done. And I'm telling you, man, chapter 18 is where it's at and I wish we could live there, but you know what follows chapter 18? Chapter 19. Didn't take long for all of that to just evaporate in smoke. Comes off the mountain, been serving God, he's exhausted, but it's one of those good exhaustions. He's whooped, but it's been awesome. I mean, his body is his body has been given and given and given and given and given, and but 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 he's a little pumped. And all of a sudden, it just seems like a 
it evaporated overnight. The victory dance has turned into a morning song. Notice chapter 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and then with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel rejoiced and said, I will turn to the Lord God in my own heart. No. Then Elijah sent a messenger unto, or then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. It's funny how one person can just bring such low and discouragement to our lives. I wish all Ahab's and Jezebel's were outside of the church. But they're not. I was listening to a pastor and he was talking about pastoring and he's talking about the many years and he said a statement. I thought it was so funny. He says, and I've actually, I've actually seen what Judas looks like. Some of you will get that in just a little bit. The work of God, it has its mountaintops, but it sure does have its valleys. And I'm thankful for Elijah. Man, if there was a man that had God's touch and God's power on him, it was Elijah. But all of a sudden we find here and he is hearing this news and this news does something to him. It has the ability to literally punch him in the gut to knock the wind out of him. It has the ability to put him flat on his back. And it's like it has the power to reach into his soul and just like crushing. I remember one time when I was in West Virginia, we had uh, some things going on in our church at that time. And I could give you a list of stories. I mean, if, you're, if you've been in ministry for any length of time, for any length of time, you, you, you deal with problems. And I will tell you this. I don't have to tell this to any pastor, but I will tell this to this church. And I will, I will, I will say this to the pastors. You protect your wife. I, I, I'm new to Eastside, and I'm stepping out on a limb. You protect Miss Jet. Amen. You protect her. Because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm convinced that when Satan went after the garden, he went after Eve. And oftentimes that's been one of the... Th boy, I tell you what, if you get a wife discouraged, how, how, how the devil likes to go through that back door sometimes. And I remember something had happened. And... Uh, one of the deacon's wife had said a comment to my wife and just belittled her. And my wife smiled and went the extra mile and tried to do some things. And she had gone to some other ladies and told them and it just didn't go well. And 
I remember on Friday, my, Friday night, my wife looking at me and saying, I'm not going back to church. And my godly response was, you have to. <laughs> she just had to work through it in her heart and mind and get alone with the Lord and get some victory in that and overcome it. But I'm going to tell you something, she was hurting. And the last place she wanted to go was to go to a place where she was hurting. And I find Elijah here in this passage and the words of Jezebel have been so powerful and so devastating in his life that he begins to take a journey and he begins to run. I don't normally title messages. I'm not great at titling and, and so forth, but I, I do want to just put a little title here because I I uh, wrote some notes down years ago and I, I put this in a side of a Bible I had and I just, I just wrote this out. Have you been listening to Jezebel again? And here is, here is Elijah and one woman has, has spoken and, and the words are so powerful to him. It, it has a way of just hitting his soul. There are some things that he has taken but this one is so devastating and he begins to run. And I want to just challenge us, number one, on a couple of things. That Elijah is on the run and this chapter begins with Ahab and Jezebel. Notice how verse 1 begins. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sends a messenger. She, she doesn't send a knife. She doesn't send an executioner. No, she just sends a message. She just drops the words and it begins to penetrate into his soul. And verse three, and when he saw that he, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah and left his servant there. Elijah, for the very first time in his life. Now listen, Jezebel and Ahab have been there all along. It's not like they just came out and started their ministry of discouraging preachers. They, they've been there all along. They have slain prophets. They have, they have uh, uh, implemented the Baal worship. They have done as much as they can to oppose the work of God and the workmen of Jesus Christ. They, they have been here all along. But in this chapter, after the 450 prophets have been executed... All of a sudden, she comes out with fresh venom and attacks him. And, and here's something that changes. Listen to me. It is not that Jezebel has changed. Jezebel is the same. And it's not that Ahab has changed because Ahab is the same. What has happened is that the words of Jezebel for the first time have become greater than the words of God. And he begins to operate. And he begins to move. Not because God has called him. But for the first time he begins to operate. Because the words of Jezebel have become greater than the words of God. He now begins to take off. Uh, th this woman who was wicked. This woman who has been evil. This woman who has been trouble this woman and this king who who have done all that they could do the truth is is they had no power but yet he gives them credibility because he responds in discouragement 
he responds in defeat and he begins to focus upon the words of Ahab and Jezebel. You'll notice here how words are so powerful. Can I remind us of Moses, the meekest man who struck the rock and disobeyed God because of the people. And, and here is Elijah, the man of courage. I, I mean, just think about this. You remember when the, the captain of 50 came to Elijah and said, come down. And he said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down and lick you up. And there they go. Here comes another 50. And, and I just love that spirit about Elijah. Can I get an amen? amen. And then here we find the same man. And, and it's almost like all of that courage and that zeal for God has been drained because of this one situation. Elijah responds and allows her to become the focus of his mind. I can just see her, her statements and her words now wrestling in his mind. And when he lays down to sleep, he can't sleep because he's tossing and turning about what this person has said or, or what they might do or, or how they might respond. And, and let, me, let me just say this to every pastor in this room. Man, if you're a pastor, you love your sheep. You love the flock. I don't know of any pastor that rests when their sheep are away from the Lord. I don't know of any pastor that, that, that is able to rest when, when there's conflict in the church. Man, that's a, that's a weight on that pastor's heart. It's a weight on his soul. It's a weight on the pastor's wife as, as he goes to bed and hears somebody that's upset about this or, or they're, 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 uh, got a conflict about this problem or, or, or they didn't like this or, or all kinds of things may happen. And I'm just telling you, it becomes a weight on that pastor's shoulders. Here is Elijah, and Elijah's responding to uh, her, and she has become the focus of him, and he's about to take a journey. I want to emphasize this tonight. I want to emphasize this tonight. Chapter 18, listen to me when I say this. Chapter 18, it was the Lord that called Elijah to go to Mount Carmel. It was God that told him to go uh, to the brook Cherith. Yes or no? It was the Lord that sent him to the widow's house at Zarephath. So every destination that Elijah has gone, he has gone through the leadership of the Lord. But in chapter 19, he is running and it's not because of the leadership of the Lord. It is not God that has led him to the wilderness. It is not God that has sent him here. And so we find that his, his, his journey is now to begin to take place. But it's not because of the spirit of the Lord. But it's by another spirit that I will call and reference self-pity. Boy, I'll tell you this. I'm thankful for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But there's been times in my life where the leadership of self-pity has led It has taken full throttle, put it in fourth gear. We've made horrible decisions and we ended up in a place and I can almost hear the Lord saying, Carrie, what are you doing here? Well, you sent me. I had nothing to do with this one. I didn't have anything to do with this one. Now, I've sent you some places, but I, I didn't send you here. How'd you get here? What spirit were you following? Come on. 
spirit of self-pity. Many have taken this journey, and I want to just say this. Many have taken this journey, and they've been on the journey for the rest of their life. Some of us would know pastors who were in the ministry and got hurt and struggled, and now they're out of the ministry. Many of us would know people that once were in church and were deacons and singing in choirs, but something happened in the church or a situation took place or a problem arose and all of a sudden they followed self-pity and I won't go back to church or I won't serve anymore or my days are done and all of a sudden they, they are in a place that God never led them. Can I say that it is hard it's easy to get on this journey, but it is hard to get someone off the journey once they start. On this journey, you only have the ability to hear negative words. You only replay the, the critical statements. You, you only replay those, those songs and those, those conversations that are hurtful and painful. And, and, and it's almost like they're on the, the, the replay cycle. It's amazing how fast we can run from Mount Carmel, the mountain of, of revival, to the valley of self-pity. He was following the words of Jezebel, a false prophet, a false woman who had set up the worship of Baal. But I want us to notice a couple of things that he did because I, I want you to catch this. Because when you and I get on this journey of self-pity, we begin to do something. We begin to go in a direction. We're always going in a direction. Faith is, for, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So all of us are going in a direction. Matter of fact, we, we often reference that when somebody's not going forward that they're backsliding. How many's ever heard that term before? And so here is, here is Elijah, and Elijah's going in a direction, but it's not a direction that God has called him or led him to. And you'll notice here a couple of things. First of all, as he begins to do this, he, he runs. He runs, first of all, it says in verse 3. The first thing is this, and he came to Beersheba. My estimation is, is that Beersheba is almost 70 miles away. That's a long ways to run. I don't know how many miles you can run in a day, but I'm telling you, if you've done 70 miles, it would probably take several days. And I don't know how fast he was. I don't know how energetic he was, but I'm telling you that he had, he had gone a long ways. We would also find this, that in verse 46, that, that uh, he had run and the Lord had girded him up, uh, chapter 18 and verse 46, and he ran before Ahab. Now think about the Lord's help in this. But I'm going to tell you something, it, it is something exhausting when you outrun a chariot and a king. And he ran before him, literally uh, in, in some ways still recognizing uh, the honor there of Ahab. And, and, and in verse uh, 46, you've got about 17 miles that he runs in verse 46 back uh, to the city and then to Beersheba, another 70 miles. So we've got about 86 miles that this man has been running how many would agree with me that as he's making this decision, he's pretty exhausted? Man, he's physically spent. He's emotionally spent. He's drained spiritually. And he's running. And he's running. 
And then notice what else it says in verse 3. Which it says in the last line, which belongeth to Judah and left his servant. What's the last line? What's the last word there? You know, it's interesting to me that on this journey, two things that he does. One, he begins to run. He runs from everything. He's trying to run from the situation. So that's how he's handling his problems. So that's how he's handling his problems. He doesn't handle them. You ever seen a pastor that didn't handle problems by, they handled it by not handling it? Man, I got to talk to those people about this situation in the church. Are we going to deal with it next month? Snowballing. Then all of a sudden the Bible says that he does something. So he's got his servant. Now, Elisha, Elisha, I, I, I don't know, Elisha's not in the picture yet, but this is some, some servant that, that, that is with him. Maybe somebody that, that took uh, uh, somebody's place here. I know Elisha would have Gehazi, that would be his, kind of his servant and his second man there. But he would leave him, which gives me the idea that all of a sudden in this journey, he is not only exhausted, but now he has isolated himself from anybody else. Can I, can I say something, pastors? And I, I, I'm from down south, and I, we were talking about this today, about how that each region has its own niche. But can I say something? You need fellowship. And if you don't need fellowship, somebody else needs fellowship. I don't know if you go to fellowship meetings, but I'm going to tell you something. The guy that gets discouraged usually doesn't go to the fellowship meeting anymore. You say, well, Brother Nance, my, our services have been low. Well, everybody goes through that. We can't get anybody to come. Well, everybody goes through that. But I'm going to tell you, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself because I'm telling you, that's, that's on a path that God doesn't want you to be on. And here is something that he does. He begins to cut himself. Literally, he cuts himself off and he leaves his servant there and he, and he continues on. In verse 4, notice where he's running. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down onto a juniper tree. So, so watch this. Now he's exhausted. He, he spent. Uh, Jezebel is after him. The words of Jezebel have become greater than the words of God. He, he's left his servant there. He's cut himself off. Nobody can encourage him. Nobody can help him. And so notice what type of prayer life he now has. Verse 4. The Bible says, and he sat down under the juniper tree and he requested for himself, God, if there's only one thing that I could have in my life, there's only one request you would grant me. It is enough. I can't take it anymore. I've done all that I can. I'm not better than my father's. I'd like to die. I don't want to belittle him. Because I don't think he was doing it in sarcasm. I don't think he was doing it just on a whim. I really believe in his heart he was so low. He was so low. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be a prophet anymore. I just can't do this, God. And I, I can't be better than the guys in front of me and... I know a lot of those guys didn't last and they didn't make it. And I don't know what you're expecting out of me, but I just can't take this anymore. And I, I know if I go back, I got to face Ahab and Jezebel. And I've been fighting them for three years. 
And I know you've been good to me, but man, I eat the stuff from the ravens and then I've been staying at this widow's house and now, I don't want to complain, Lord, but it's enough. Everybody with me? It's enough. I'm at my wit's end. Dear pastor, missionary friend of mine had gone to Papua New Guinea and he went there and he, he was telling me he had gone there for six months and he said, um, he said, Carrie, he said, when I went there, he said, I had listened to some missionaries. They told me I didn't need a whole lot. When I got there, I could buy everything. He says, I went there. I couldn't buy anything on the island I was at. He said, we couldn't get a generator. We were trying to get a generator. We couldn't get it. We, we, he says, and then it went into a drought. He says, uh, we, we had a system to where we could get water. He says, and we finally got this big rain. And he says, he says, and we were so excited that it was, it was raining and we had this, this kind of this thing that collected all the water and then they could turn it on. And he said, uh, we turned it on and he said, we saw all this hair coming down through the pipe. And he says, I got up in there and it was a, like a, big old rat that had died in our water system. He says, we finally had fresh water. And he says, I didn't buy a good house. He says, I bought a house and it didn't have air conditioning in it. And he says, we were dying. And he says, we were going down and washing our clothes in the creek and I'm hauling water back. And he says, I remember we had hauled water back and he says, we had found this tin bucket kind of a tub and my girls were taking a bath there. And he says, he says, instead of hauling all the water, everybody was using the same tub. And he says, my, my third daughter was in the tub and she's like, oh, daddy, can't we go home? Can't we go home? And he said, Carrie, I was embarrassed to say it, but he said, after six months on the field, I wanted to leave so bad. It was so hard. Now, I'll tell you, he stayed. God blessed. But I'm going to tell you something. There are times when life is very difficult. And sometimes we come to a place and our prayer is, it is enough. And he begins to, he begins to come extremely low. But I, I, want us to, I want us to notice something that takes place in this wilderness journey. I want us to notice here that although Elijah has separated himself from man, he has isolated himself from all encouragement and all friends, although the words of Jezebel are ringing loud and clear in his heart and mind, listen to me, my friend, he has not isolated himself from the hand of God. And all of a sudden we begin to see that things begin to turn in verse 5. And as he laid and slept under a juniper tree, behold... Then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel, now verse 7 is going to give us a little bit more clarity on this angel. It's not just an angel, but in verse 7 it says, And the angel of the Lord came again 
the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, uh, eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, I, I want us to notice something here in this passage because in this room, I guarantee you that there are people here that are excited and man, we've heard some great reports, but I promise you that this is probably not the place where somebody says, pastor, I'm just ready to die. It's enough. I'm ready to give in the towel, but there's probably somebody that's here and I wanna just say something to you. Listen to me when I say this. Discouragement, discouragement is not removed by buildings or money. Nor is it removed by the amount of people you have. You, you can have a beautiful auditorium and it's full of people and I'm telling you somehow, somehow a discouragement can find its way into your heart. Because listen, if you're a prophet of God, Satan is after you all the time. He's relentless. He is trying to discourage you. He is trying to get you to quit. He is trying to, he, listen, he doesn't want any more chapter 18. He doesn't want any more of the word of God. He, he doesn't want your wife excited and, and thrilled and looking forward to Sunday morning. He, he is throwing everything he can and Satan has never played fair. I mean, he'll use anything. He'll use anything. And so here we, we, we find Elijah literally out in the wilderness and, and, and though, although he's run out to this place, man, I love what God does. God begins to reveal who he is because the words of God must reign greater than the words of Jezebel in our life. Now I want you to notice what he discovers. Maybe he doesn't realize it. Maybe he doesn't even appreciate it. But I want you to notice, first of all, that God is revealing to him, first of all, his provision and his compassion for you. Now, here he is in the wilderness. He's under this juniper tree. He's got one, one thing he's looking forward to, dying. If I could die today, it'd be a happy day. That's a pretty sad day. And notice here, when he looks over, there, there, there are several things. You'll notice in verse, verse 6, and he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the, what? Coals and a cruise of water. And, and notice, I want you to notice how compassionate and caring our God is. That the water was literally at his head. Does everybody see that? He didn't even have to get up. I mean, God put it right there. Amen. Talking about a ministry of heaven. God puts it right there in his head and God starts a fire and God puts the coals there and he's cooking these cakes on there. And, and, uh, but I, but I, want you to, I want you to catch this. I want you to really catch this. Verse 7, the Bible says here that this angel is the angel of the Lord. Now, now wait, 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 wait. First time that's referenced, we understand what that is. That's in Genesis 16. We understand that, that angel that, that came to Hagar when she ran. You, you remember that, 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 that great 
uh, help there when he sent her back to Sarah and Abraham and she was on the run and she was in the wilderness and she didn't have anything and she was discouraged and God met her. God spoke to her. God gave her water and met her needs. You know what I love about this passage? Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God didn't send ravens to take care of him. He didn't send a widow to take care of his needs. God himself came. And I want you to, I want you to catch this. Not only did he serve him and minister to him, but he touched him. You know what it's like to feel all alone and abandoned and have the touch of God in your life? It's a special day. God reached down and touched him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't belittle him. He said, son, why don't you eat? He touched him. Why don't you drink this? What a God. But what about Jezebel? What about me? I'm right here. You can run from her, but you can't run from God. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that when you've made foolish decisions, because we all have, and you've run, and you don't even know what you're doing, aren't you thankful that God is there? The darkest hour of his life, God was there. Now, if you don't hear anything in the rest of this message, you need to hear what I just said. In the darkest hour of his life, God was there. Say, Brother Nance, at this church or at my church, nobody even knows what I'm going through. God is there. No, nobody knows how exhausted I am. God does. No. Nobody even listens to me. God does. Do you understand how personal God is with his prophets and with his people? What a, what a picture. God is a God of great compassion. I also want you to notice this. So, so the Lord is asking him a question. Now, I don't think the Lord is really wanting an answer because God knows all things. But he asks him a question in verse, verse 9 and, and, uh, uh, and he arose in verse 8 and in the strength he comes to Horeb, the mount of God. You'll notice and he came through there, verse 9, unto a cave and lodged there and behold the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what doest thou here, Elijah? Now wait, 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 wait. God's trying to get him to think. How'd you get here? What are you doing here? I didn't direct you here. I didn't call you here. I didn't send you here. How did you get here? Can I tell you a lot of times where we're at spiritually, it's not God's doings, it's our running. And he asked him this question and notice verse 10. And he said, now I'm just going to say it up front. Notice how many times the word I is mentioned. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts and the children of Israel have forsaken the covenants and thrown down their altars and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left and they seek my life to take it. Does everybody kind of see that? By the way, you know, it's what's, what's, what, what pastors are great at 
is that we can have a pity party and make it look spiritual. Is that what he's doing? I mean, I, 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 you know, one thing the Bible doesn't give us is tone. I don't know if he had a little bit of wine in there. I don't know if it was kind of like, I don't know why you're not feeling sorry for me because I have been so jealous and, and they have treated us this way and, and they've thrown down the altars and life hasn't been fair and this stinks and, and I'm the only one left. And I'm just saying this because I love God. It's got a spiritual twist to it, but the truth is, is we all can look at this and we understand that one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that he is here is because the, the message of Jezebel has caused him to become internal in his life and in his thinking. You'll notice in verse 11, God reveals not only his provision, but you'll find in verse 11 that he begins to go forth. And as he goes forth there in verse 11, and he stands upon the mountain that the, uh, before the Lord, and the Lord reveals three things to him. He reveals here the, 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 uh, the wind, and, and I don't know that we can understand all of this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it was a great strong wind that rent the mountains. That's a pretty massive wind. And then, uh, then, he, then he sends an earthquake, and then he sends a fire. And we know that all three of these things, the Bible is referencing that the Lord was not in it, but we understand here that God was in control of it. He was demonstrating to him not only his provision, but I am still in control. I am the God of all power. I can take wind and I can rent mountains with it. You're afraid of who? You're concerned about what? Do you not know who you serve? And I can provide cakes, but I can also take mountains and just rip them like they are pieces of paper. What a God. What a God. And I'll be honest with you that when we fall into this discouragement and we fall into this journey of the pity party and we begin to run and isolate ourselves and, and we begin to replay those, those, those messages and those burdens that, that bear us down, we begin to put our attention upon ourselves and we forget how great God is. He reveals his power. But then I want you to notice here just simply how God reveals his purpose. And, 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 and here's what he really needed to hear. You'll notice here that he asked the second time, what doest thou here? Now twice the Lord has asked Elijah and Elijah has given the same spiel, but only one time has the Lord responded to what he said. He repeats himself in verse 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thine altars, thrown, or thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain the prophets with the sword. And I, God, do you, do, you not, do you not know what's going on down here? I mean, all of this is happening and I am the only one left and now they seek my life. Verses 15, 16, and 17, we find here that God lays out his purpose. God, God is not worried about Jezebel, nor is he concerned about Ahab. Listen to me when I say this. God is 
God is consumed with this world seeing his glory. God has called us to do that. Literally, we find in this passage, listen to me, that, that Elijah is to go and he is to anoint three people. You'll find Jehu, you'll find uh, uh, Hazael, and you'll find Elisha. And he literally talks about how that his purpose and his kingdom is going to continue. I, I, I didn't build it upon Elijah, nor is it going to end with Elijah. It's not going to, it didn't start with your faithfulness, nor will it end with your discouragement. But my plan and my purpose will go on and on and on and on and on. And the truth is, is Ahab and Jezebel can never stop the work of God. Sometimes we think there's a battle between Jezebel and Elijah. Who is she? What is Baal? He is a paper boat that will never float. Is that true, yes or no? It's not going anywhere. But if God has called us, he has never lost sight of his purpose for our life. I want you to go back because your purpose, I want you to invest in that guy, Elisha. I want you to anoint that guy, Jehu. And I want you to anoint that guy, Hazel. And I, I want you to keep doing my purpose and get focused on what I've called you to do. And you just stay there and you just keep plotting and you just keep going and you just keep serving the Lord and I will take care of all of the rest. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. He's able to meet the needs. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to tell me you're the only one left. Because I keep the accurate numbers. I, 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 I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Sometimes we get caught up on the numbers and they can lead us to discouragement. And we think we got the right number and God says, no, you missed it again. I've got 7,000. They haven't bowed the knee nor they have they kissed. They love me with all of their heart. You, you, you thought you had the right number and you've been counting numbers and you've been consumed with numbers. I can preach it because I've been there. Yeah. And sometimes you have to say, God, I'm just going to trust you with the numbers. Yeah. I'll be faithful. Yeah. And I'll watch what God does. Amen. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Listen to me. God knows where you're at. Right. Yes, he does. And he's going to help you. Yeah. And he's going to meet your needs. Yeah. We... Uh, Moved down in 2003, and it was August the 3rd, 2003. We had been in West Virginia for 11 years, and we came down to uh, start a church in South Tampa. It was a church building that was there. It uh, had about 300000 of debt. They had closed the property, and um, we were trying to buy the buildings for the debt. And so uh, we moved into 
the, the church building and uh, there was a, a house that had been gutted out in the back and it was, it was kind of the, uh, the fellowship hall, just a house there. They had gutted it out, didn't have any walls or anything inside it. And so we moved in there and they had a kitchen in one area and uh, it, was, it was a poor state of a kitchen. They had taken these uh, ply or press board uh, boxes and they had lined them up and then they wrapped linoleum around them and that was, that was the kitchen counter, counter space. And I remember my wife being in there and uh, we were trying to organize and before we organized, we had to buy the property. We had to get a loan for 300000 I won't go into the story, but $300,000 doesn't sound a whole lot to buy a church but when you're running zero and you don't even have a checking account, 300000 sounds like $3 million. And it was that amount for us. And uh, we, we didn't raise support. We didn't, um, I, I'd left one church and just moved down here. And so uh, we, we had gone about six weeks without salary. And I remember sitting in the kitchen and I was so convinced God had called me. I was so convinced of that. And I remember sitting in there and I remember my wife looking at me and we were just talking about coming up on Christmas. It was literally the 1st of December. And uh, my wife says, uh, Carrie, what are we going to do about Christmas? I didn't know. And, uh, and she starts saying, you know, just, just thinking things through. So... Um, you know, we've got electric bill coming up on the church and, um, you know, we've got these other things and uh, we didn't have health insurance. You know, our church planners wing it. What's health? Who needs health insurance, you know? We didn't have any. I'm not saying to do that. Please don't walk out of here and say that. But, but I remember just sitting there and just kind of thinking, how are we going to make this? And how is this going to happen? And how is this going to work? And I remember just talking with my wife and I'm just trying to encourage her and I'm just praying. We literally just prayed and, and uh, I, I, we're just talking out numbers and nothing added up. And I had actually made a promise to her that I would take her back home for Christmas. And, and she asked me, are, are we going to be able to do that? And I'm thinking... Man, I don't know if we will, but we're going to try our best. I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the phone rings, and a guy on the other end says, uh, or it was actually a lady. She was like, uh, I'd like to speak to Carrie Nance. I said, this is Carrie Nance. And she says, well, I, I'm a, a secretary for a church. I said, okay. And she says, it's a Hillsboro Baptist Church. I've never been there. I've never been there to this day. She told me the pastor's name. I didn't know the pastor. And she said, uh, we're taking up a Christmas offering and uh, the pastor wanted to know if he could send it to you. I said, sure, I, I'll give you the address. And so I gave her the address. She said, well, it'll be $1,700. I said, I said, what? She says, $1,700. And we're gonna send you another check in January if that's okay. That'll be fine. <laughs> and and I, I said, I said um, can, can I ask you how you heard about us? She said, well, 
pastor was at a meeting somewhere on the other side of this state and uh, they were talking about church planners because we take up a Christmas offering and we just send it to a church planner and, and so our people gave on Sunday and this is, this is the offering and we wanted to send it to you and we just, we just heard about your name and I'm thinking, wow, what a great God. I hang up the phone. I am not joking. I hang up the phone. I look at my wife. I am telling her the news and it rings again. Can I, can I help you? Yeah, this is Pastor So-and-so. Um, we want to send you guys a love offering. Sure. It was like $800. I mean, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think how we're going to get this mortgage and this down payment. And I'm telling you, God, I had three calls back to back to back. Our tears turned from tears of discouragement. We were, we were jumping around that kitchen. You know what God did for us? He put some cakes on the coal. He put the water by our head. And he said, I know exactly where you're at. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to encourage you. Now, I, I, know, I know I've got my story. But I promise you, if you'll serve God, you'll have the same story. It'll be different. It'll have, it'll have different backgrounds and different things. But I, I promise you that there'll be a day when you'll look up and you'll say, who put that water right by my head? And who put those cakes on that coal? And I felt like God just touched me and he helped me and he encouraged me. You know what I love about this chapter? It begins with Jezebel's words, but it ends with God's words. And what Elijah needed to hear is he needed to transfer something. The journey began because he put the words of Elijah, uh, the words of Jezebel, and made them greater than God. But when he got back on track is when he had the words of God as the highest in his life. Now, I want to encourage you tonight, get to a place where you can hear God's voice again. Amen. Father, I just, I just pray tonight, Lord, I don't know who is in chapter 19. I don't know who is discouraged. I don't know who may be isolating themselves, who may be carrying burdens, but God, you do. And I pray tonight, Lord, would you touch a pastor, would you touch a pastor's wife? Would you touch a church member? Would you touch a preacher's kid? They've got an attitude or they're discouraged. I pray, oh God, that they would humble themselves and they would hear God's purpose again in their life. Thank you for how great you are and how gracious you are to us in Jesus' name. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.